Oh, gracious God, we do love you. And Lord, we've, we've prayed many prayers this morning. And uh, Lord, all of them, we would just say, yes, amen. God, you are amazing. You are awesome. You know the needs of this congregation. Uh, right now, Lord, I want to lift up one particular need, and that is that, God, we do need to hear from you. Um, Lord, we've, we've gathered here today, uh, Lord, to worship you and to glorify you. But Lord, we've, we've gathered especially to, to hear from you. Lord, this relationship is one where it goes both ways. Lord, we respond in praise, but then, Lord, we, we look to your word and you teach us. So, God, would you teach us? Because life is complicated. Lord, these bodies break down. Uh, Lord, our plans don't go the way that we had hoped. Uh, Lord, we fall short. We have burdens. All of that, Lord. And we just acknowledge that we can't do any of it in our own strength. We need to hear from you. God, we need wisdom and direction. You've given us your spirit and you've given us your word. And I pray that now your Holy Spirit would help us as we look to your word. Open our eyes and soften our hearts. And perhaps today would be a day of salvation for someone in this room. That they would see for the first time our great God. And that there is a way for us to be in relationship with you through your son Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, we ask for all of those miracles and we can't do any of them in our own strength. So now, Lord, uh, we're just going to proclaim the word and we believe that it never returns void. Lord, it's, it's sharper than a double-edged sword. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Speak, O oh Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Amen. Acts chapter 13. Hopefully you're there. Um, if you're not there yet, you can turn there as I prepare us. This passage, um, as we mentioned last week, there was a, a big monumental shift in the book of Acts. We've been making our way through, and when we hit chapter 13... We shifted away from an emphasis on really Peter and the church in Jerusalem. And now we're focusing in on the Apostle Paul in his missionary journeys as the church goes out all around. And so that happened last week. And uh, the church prayed for them and they commissioned them. But today here in verse 4, we see Paul and Barnabas officially launching out. And I'm so thankful that we have this story recorded for us because getting started is hard to do. It's, get, it's hard to do in missions, but it's hard to do in all of life, isn't it? When God calls us to things and he calls us to step out, it's hard to take those steps of faith. And here we have this example recorded for us, ultimately that we would glorify God in our study of his word. But I would say secondarily that we would learn from this example. Now, none of us, I would assume, are going to be going on mission to Cyprus, though maybe. But all of us have been called by God to go. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read these verses, Acts 13, verses 4 to 12, and we're going to draw out lessons in launching out, all right? Lessons in in getting started. So look with me now, hear God's holy, inspired, inerrant word, Acts 13, verses 4 to 12. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, And they had John to assist them. And when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, 
The hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're going to make our way through this story, and as I said, we're going to draw out some lessons in launching out. So of course, this is applying directly to missions, but as a church, you know, as we prepare to perhaps think about planting a church, uh, this is going to be helpful for us. For us as individual Christians, as we go out and, and make disciples and evangelize, this is going to apply and be helpful for us. And so what are the lessons that we can learn from this passage in launching out? I'm going to begin with some lessons that perhaps seem mundane and and move to some that will be more obviously meaningful, but I believe all this is helpful. The first seemingly mundane lesson is, before you launch out, assemble a good team. Assemble a good team. See, for all of his giftedness, it is striking that the Apostle Paul is always surrounded with team. The church didn't just send Paul. The church commissioned Paul and Barnabas. And sent them. And we see in verse 5, they also brought along a young leader with them. It says they had John to assist them. This is John Mark. Uh, he's the one who wrote the Gospel of Mark. And actually, in the book of Acts, we're going to see that the Apostle Paul and John Mark had a, a difficult relationship. We'll see a bit of that next Sunday. But they brought this young leader along to train them, and they went out in team. And this pattern is not unique to the Apostle Paul and this first missionary journey. This is the same thing that Jesus displayed for us with his own disciples. In Mark 6, we read, and Jesus called the 12, and he began to send them out two by two. So we see this New Testament pattern that there is wisdom in team. That's helpful for us because if we're honest, a lot of us feel a a lone wolf impulse in our hearts. It's just easier to go by myself. People don't slow me down when I'm going by myself. I don't need to worry about friction when I'm by myself or people restraining me. I could just, I can go. And if anybody could make that argument, boy, it was the Apostle Paul. And yet, he had team because Jesus taught us to use teams. So why is that? It's worth asking. What's, what's the purpose of these teams? And I would say, for starters, particularly for these first missionaries, the Mosaic Law taught that a testimony was not to be received without a witness. So if you've been doing the Bible reading plan, the RMM plan that we use here, then you've been reading some challenging passages in Deuteronomy this week. Okay. (laughs) If you've been using the plan, then you know, and you're like, oh yeah, it's been a week. And in those passages, it talks about how, you know, when charges are laid against people, there needs to be a witness. You don't accept charges without a witness. And in the same way, positively speaking, as Paul goes into the synagogues and is going to tell people that Jesus died, but then rose again and ascended and revealed himself, he, he needs a witness to attest to the fact that this testimony is true. And so in teamwork, there is, I guess you could say, uh, credibility. In teams, there's also support. I mean, we've seen our own fragility and weakness even this morning. We are, we are weak. Physically, we're weak. Um, spiritually, we're often weak. Mentally, we can be very weak. In Ecclesiastes 4, we read, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For, if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Teamwork is wisdom. It supplements us in our weakness. It gives us credibility. But then I would also say it provides us with diversity and fullness. So the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the church in Corinth, 
He told them, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. This is in 1 Corinthians 12. He goes on to say, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So Paul is saying, we're strategically deficient. Like every one of us in this room, there are things that you cannot do. Now there are things, praise God, that you can do. Places where you're wonderfully gifted. But none of us possesses all the gifts. Not even the Apostle Paul. And that is by design. God has so structured his people that we require one another, that we require relationship, that we actually can't do any of this on our own. So as we launch out into the world, we need team. Some of you, maybe you're struggling with evangelism and you just feel like, man, I, maybe I just can't do it. I'm just, I'm not courageous enough to start those conversations. I just, I'm not, I have a hard time breaking through. Well, you should probably find somebody in the church who is courageous and who is able to break through because I suspect you've got some gifts too. You know, that perhaps some of you, you have a hard time breaking in, but you're very empathetic, you're a great listener, or you're great at, at providing answers to tough questions, that is by design. Because maybe that person who's great at breaking through has a real hard time listening. That's sometimes the case, isn't it? So we work together. Find somebody. Ask somebody to pray with you. Ask somebody to minister with you. Look for areas where you can partner up as you launch out. But then also, before we move on, I want us to see, and this is important too, that there is a team that sends these brothers. So if we look back at verse 3 of the passage, in Acts 13, verse 3, this is about the church in Antioch. It says, Then after fasting and praying, they, that is the church in Antioch, laid their hands on them, that is Paul and Barnabas, and sent them off. So again, Paul is not a lone wolf, and neither are Paul and Barnabas lone wolves, but they are, they are members of a local church, being sent by a local church with the authority of a local church, and they will then report back to that local church, which is what we see in chapter 14. Flip ahead a page in your Bible, look at verses 26 to 27 of chapter 14. And at the very end of this journey, this first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas return to the church, and in verses 26 to 27, it says, From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And so here again, if anybody could excuse themselves from accountability, it would be the Apostle Paul. He's, he's wise, he's brilliant, and yet he saw that it is good for him to be in a relationship of accountability. He was sent by a church. He reported back to a church. And I would say, this is actually the lesson that we have, we have lost in our day and age, and we need to reclaim it. Uh, so I'll, let me just say it clearly. I mean, we have watched scandal after scandal. We have watched leaders fall and fall, and it is horrifying, and it is awful. And of course, in a fallen world, we could put all the structures in place, and that stuff is still going to happen. And yet, let's put good structures in place. We all need accountability. I am accountable to you. I'm accountable to our elder team. This, this whole membership. I'm accountable. If I start going off the rails with my teaching, then you pull me out of the pulpit. In fact, Second John, if you've read the letter of Second John, he's, he writes to this church and he tells them, if you tolerate, if you house these false teachers when they come through your city, you're culpable. You are culpable for the message that you allow yourself to listen to and you allow your people to listen to. Take this seriously, he says. You run from leaders, run from teachers 
who refuse to submit to accountability. Run from, from teachers who, who have all of the answers and so who refuse to be slowed down. Or missionaries. Run from missionaries who, who have no one who is sending them, who are running as, as lone wolves in the world. Those teachers you're going to find on the internet who don't belong to a church, who are operating out of a basement. That's dangerous, and it's not the model that we see in the New Testament. We need a team. St. Cyprian famously said, No one can have God for his father who does not have the church for his mother. The church is clumsy and messy and broken, absolutely, because it's got people like you and me in it. But the church is God's design. It's good for us. So assemble a team before you launch out. Second, and again, this seemingly mundane detail, but we're going to look at it, prepare a thoughtful strategy. Prepare a thoughtful strategy. So look at verse 4. It's going to take you a second to see this, so I want to help you get there. So being sent out, Acts 13, verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And you say, what are you talking about? Strategy? The Holy Spirit sent them. The strategy is listen to the Spirit and go. Yes. And we're going we're to say an awful lot more about that, so don't worry. We're going to get there. But, so obviously the Holy Spirit sends Saul and Barnabas, but how specific was he in the details? Like, did he specifically tell them that you're going to travel down to Seleucia and then from there you're going to catch a boat and you're going to go to Cyprus? Like, were all of those details spelled out in, in detail? I don't know. It seems to me that he simply told them to go. And I think that's worth pondering this morning because as I look across this room, I imagine for every one of us, we have faced moments in our lives where we need to make a decision. Right? You feel God saying go. But here you are, you're at an impasse. You can go left, you can go right. And neither of these options is sin. If an option is sin, then God's been pretty clear, right? But no, no sin left, no sin right. Good options. And so you pray and you say, God, should I go left or should I go right? And you wait and you wait and he doesn't speak. You ever been in one of those positions? And all of a sudden you feel frozen in your tracks. What do I do? Well, we see this in the book of Acts. Now, sometimes God is just, he speaks clearly and he gives you all of the specific details. He does that with Paul in chapter 16. In chapter 16, he tells Paul, don't preach in Asia. Then he gives him a dream and he tells him, travel to Macedonia. And it's, it's explicit, the details. And that's part of why I would suggest to you that he, the Holy Spirit was less explicit with the details here. He doesn't have that clear direction. He's just told to go. So what do you do when the Spirit says go, but he doesn't tell you left or right? Well, you think strategically. So why Cyprus? Why would they start there? Well, geographically, they're close to Cyprus. But then also, we read in chapter 4 of Acts, verse 36, that Barnabas grew up in Cyprus. So he's, he's moving back in the direction of his earlier stomping grounds, where he's got relationships established. Not only that, but in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, we're told that when the church scattered out of Jerusalem, when the persecution hit, many of those people landed in Cyprus. And so there is already something that's beginning to bubble up in Cyprus. And so Paul and Barnabas, being as close to Cyprus as they are, say, let's start there, right? The soil's been prepared. And we see that same thinking when in verse 5, they immediately, upon arriving in Cyprus, where do they go? Look at verse 5. When they arrived at Salamis, which is one of the cities on the island of Cyprus, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They went straight to the synagogues. Now, why is it that the Apostle Paul in his missionary travels had this pattern of going to the Jews first, then to the Gentiles? 
That's actually a, an enormous question and we could give a whole sermon to it. We can't do that today. But at, a, at the most basic level, he went to the Jews first because no one was better positioned to see and recognize and worship Jesus than the Jews. He went to the place where they were steeped in the Old Testament scriptures. He went to the place where they were looking for a prophet like Moses. The place where they were looking for a Messiah in the line of David. Where they were looking for a a suffering servant as prophesied by Isaiah. Nobody on the island of Cyprus, nay, nobody on the planet was better positioned to recognize Jesus than the Jews. The soil was already tilled and so what, what did they do strategically? Okay, well here we are. And we've been called to go, so let's go to the place where we see the, toil, the soil's been tilled and let's just throw as many seeds as we can until they throw us out. And that's what they do in every city they go to. They get in there and they got their bag of seeds and they're just throwing the gospel like this and eventually somebody chases them out, tries to kill them. But that's, that's going to be his approach from here on out. Now we could also see st- strategy in Paul's emphasis on the cities. And again, we've got to move quickly here, so I won't go into detail, but As you read through the book of Acts, Paul is unapologetic in his emphasis on the cities. He goes to the place where the people are. And he goes to the place where the people spread and launch out. And he focuses his time there. He's thinking strategically. And all of this is not sin. Here's the lesson, okay? Why are we, what's the point? Seems so mundane. Here's the lesson. It is not sinful, and it is not faithless, and it is not worldly, to think strategically. It's not sin to make a plan. We can trust God and make a plan. That's what the Bible calls wisdom. And and sometimes we can just become so hyper-spiritual that we begin to dismiss the realities that are all around us. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is just open your eyes and look at the doors that are open. Proverbs 21.31 says, The horse is made ready for the day of battle. So prepare the horse. But the victory belongs to the Lord. So this principle of wisdom says, prepare the horse, do the work. Yes, put all that preparation in place. But understand this, God is the one who brings victory. Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborer labors in vain. Some people seem to be paralyzed. So maybe you're here today and you're paralyzed. Waiting for God to, to rend the heavens and to show them who to share the gospel with. Who to disciple? Maybe, maybe it's a tug towards missions and you're just waiting for God to, show, to say, go here. Or what to eat for breakfast. Sometimes God leads us through common sense. And it's important that we know that. So look for the connections that already exist in your world. The people that God has you working with in your workplace. The neighbors who already live on your street and who know your name. Look for the doors that are already open a hair Look at the gifts that God has already entrusted to you and start there. And when the Holy Spirit says, turn right, turn right. But start there, make a plan. And then now we're moving into some of the more obviously uh, meaningful lessons. Then, third lesson, expect to encounter resistance. Whenever we push forward and attempt to make new ground, whenever we launch out in this gospel mission we've been entrusted with, We need to remember that there's a spiritual enemy that is pushing back and trying to maintain the ground that he has. That's par for the course. And we see it in verses 6 to 8. So look there with me again. So when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, 
a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. We'll just pause there really quickly because that could be distracting. Jesus was a common name. It was like Steve, right? It was just a common name. Lots of people were named Jesus. So, and Bar means son of Jesus. So this isn't our Jesus. He was just the son of a man named Jesus. Just didn't want you to be distracted by that. A Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and who sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So the spiritual opposition that Paul and Barnabas faced came in the form of this false prophet. This false prophet who had a position with this proconsul. A proconsul, he's like the, the most important civil leader on the island. So that's who they're speaking with. And this false prophet has a position in his office. Maybe he's his astrologer, right? He's a magician of some sort. And when they start to share the gospel with the proconsul, this man interjects himself. Now this man identifies as a Jew. He identifies as one who worships Yahweh. And yet he's also someone who plays loose and fast with the word of God. Because God's word explicitly condemns this magic, but this man's given himself permission to twist and distort all of that. And so when he hears this true gospel being proclaimed, he, he flares up and tries to protect his territory. And if I could pause there, this isn't in the notes, but when we go out and we face resistance, you, should, you shouldn't be surprised that a lot of the times the resistance that's most vocal and most hostile is the resistance that comes from people who claim to represent our God. A lot of the times the people in your workplace who are going to be most hostile towards you or people on the internet who are going to be most hostile towards you are people who claim the name of Christian and yet who have given permission to change his word. And so they distance themselves from you in the world, right? Oh, oh, you don't want to listen to him. He's one of those Christians who's, who's crazy. Real Christians don't actually believe the Bible and what it says about those things. Real Christians are like me and they're nice and they think everything that you think. Those are the people who are going to be most vocal in your life and that's what we see here as well. Elimus interjects himself and tries to push back. And here's an important lesson for us because we have been conditioned, I suspect, We've been conditioned to think that whenever there's pushback in our lives, we're in the wrong place. Like whenever, whenever it's hard or painful, we're probably doing the wrong thing. Don't we instinctively feel that? And so we say, oh man, I, I thought that I was supposed to share the gospel with, with my neighbors, but, but now actually my neighbor, he's saying mean things about me, and now he doesn't want to talk to me very much, so I probably, I probably wasn't supposed to or I thought I was supposed to minister at the lighthouse but then I, I find whenever I go there and I come out I just feel d- dark and discouraged and so I probably wasn't supposed to go there absolutely wrong right? It, expect pushback you're supposed to get pushback Jesus our savior said in the world you will have tribulation John 16.33 not you could or you might or perhaps he says no you will you will have tribulation church as you launch out as you launch out in missions, or as you, as you plant a church, or as you go out in evangelism, or, you, or as you try to disciple people, it's going to be hard. We follow a Savior who was crucified naked on a cross. And he told us, to follow me means you need to take up your own cross now and follow me. We need to come to terms with this so that we don't throw in the towel the first time we get punched in the spiritual nose or the physical nose. Paul was punched in the physical nose many times. And it would be very easy to say, okay, I was not supposed to go to that city. Wrong. Wrong. 
You will have tribulation. And yet that opposition is no reason to throw in the towel because Jesus went on to say, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. So when Paul and Barnabas are standing in the court and all of a sudden they've got this man shouting them down, they didn't back down, they didn't step away, they didn't abandon the mission. Instead, they looked him square in the eyes and they faced this opposition head on because fourth lesson we learn about launching out when we launch out, expect the help of the Spirit. Expect the help of the Spirit. So yes, you're going to have pushback, but yes, you're going to have help. Last Sunday, we talked about how the Spirit sends us in mission. And again, we see that here in verse 4. In verse 4, we see the Holy Spirit sent them out. But what we see in this passage that is kind of adding to what we saw last week is that not only does the Spirit send us in mission, the Holy Spirit defends us in our mission. So let's read verses 9 to 11 again. Look with me. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Man, there's so much we could say about this scene. Just stop and picture it for a moment. This, this would be very intimidating. Paul and Barnabas are standing in front of the most powerful man on the island and they're sharing the gospel. And then all of a sudden now they've got somebody vocally opposing them publicly in front of a bunch of witnesses shouting them down. I don't know about you, but this is like a horror story for me. I'm thinking about some of our high school students. Isn't this the thing that you dread? You know, being in high school and all of a sudden having someone in your classroom spark a public debate and everybody's watching you? How are you going to respond? Some of you working in maybe hostile work environments. Isn't this the thing you dread? All of a sudden in the lunchroom, the discussion comes up and everybody's looking at you and somebody is being aggressive and, and trying to insult your faith and you're feeling like, Who am I? I'm not smart. I'm not quick on my feet. These are the kinds of things that we have horror nightmares about. And yet, Jesus taught us, when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour. In that moment, I'm going to give you words. He says, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. So those nightmares that we sometimes cultivate and those, those dreaded situations where I have to give a defense for my faith in front of people who think I'm crazy, those things that horrify us, Jesus taught us actually in those moments, I'll give you exactly what you need. And that's what we see here. Elimus jumps into this thing and he interrupts and he says, quit listening to these guys, they're crazy, this is nonsense, it's foolishness. And the Apostle Paul, not in his wisdom, but filled with the Holy Spirit, looks at this man, looks him dead in the eye, and, and proclaims judgment on him, and the man goes blind. P.S., that's probably not what he would have prepared for going into it. You don't write that on your cue card going into the high school classroom. Like, if anybody challenges me today, just call them and make them blind. Right? You don't, that, that kind of thing just happens, right? Now, I said it's interesting. Isn't that exactly what happened to the Apostle Paul? Like, how did God humble him? God struck him blind. And at the end of this story, you, you see this, this magician, this man who called himself a representative of God, who was actually opposing God, you see him like searching around blindly, just like we saw, saw Saul searching around blindly when God humbled him. 
can't plan for that. And maybe you're looking at this and you're saying, well, the Spirit was so harsh with, with Elimus the magician. I, I'm not used to the Holy Spirit. That's not what I think of when I think of the Holy Spirit. And again, the Holy Spirit, is, our God, is amazing. And, and our God is love. And of course, when we think about the Holy Spirit, a lot of us, immediately our minds go to that warm, fuzzy feeling we feel when we sing our favorite song, right? And the worship leader repeats the bridge again. It's like, yes, the Spirit is here. And, and he is, Right? He meets us in those warm fuzzies. He does. I, I don't despise that. That's amazing. But as we read the book of Acts, boy, the Holy Spirit is also there when Ananias and Sapphira are struck dead. The Holy Spirit does that too. The Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin. The Holy Spirit is fierce. He blinded Saul. He blinds Elimus. Let's make sure we have a category for that too. That's the spirit that we need as we go into a hostile world. And that's who he is. You say, well, why did he deal so harshly? He dealt so harshly because he is love. What is happening in this scene? Paul and Barnabas are looking at this proconsul, Solus Paulus, that's not his name. I can't remember it off the top of my head. He's not Solus Paulus, whatever. They're looking at this proconsul. I can't find it in my notes. And, and they're looking at this man who is on the road to hell. That's the reality of it. It doesn't matter how powerful this man is on Cyprus. He is a man who is in rebellion to God and he is on the road that leads to eternal hell. And Paul and Barnabas are looking at this man and they have this opportunity to share with him the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to, to move him from this road that leads to death to the road that leads to life, to bring him into relationship with God. This is the most incredible thing. And then inserts, in comes this man, Elimus, who jumps in and says, no, 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 no. Forget that. You're not going to speak here. And so why does God deal so severely with Elimus? Because God loves this proconsul. And he says, no way. I've come to seek and save the lost. You are not going to get in the way of this mission. And Jesus was just as fierce as the Holy Spirit is here. Remember when Jesus said, whoever causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for you if a millstone was tied around your neck and you were thrown into the depths of the sea. Our God loves the lost and he goes to them and he deals severely and fiercely with those hypocrites in the church like Ananias and Sapphira who paint a false picture of God and with those false teachers who distort God's word and teach people to disobey and try to get in between them and the true gospel of Jesus Christ, there's nobody who receives the wrath of God like those people. We read, G. Campbell Morgan says, the severest words of the Bible, Old and New Testament, are reserved for those who stand between men and truth. For those who stand between men and God. Just as an aside, there are going to be things that you witness in this life that you don't like. Things you witness in fellow Christians, things you witness in the church. It is the most common thing in the world right now for people to complain about everything that's wrong with the church. I get it. I've, I, as a pastor, I would argue I've probably seen more of it than you have. I get it. And, and, and nothing feels better than just to go onto the internet and to vent about everything that's wrong with the church, everything that's wrong with people, and everything that's wrong with what they think. And, and, and you know, and we're implying, but we'll look at me. <laughs> like, the church is the problem, but if, if only they believed like me and acted like me, it would be the best. Don't give your life to that because you know what's happening in that moment. Everybody's seeing all of that and people who don't know Jesus and who don't love Jesus are seeing that and you're making more and more obstacles that are gonna keep them away from a saving relationship with God. And you feel better because you've been slamming people, but you're moving people away from God. And one day, we're gonna give an account for every careless word we've spoken and every careless tweet we've tweeted. And that's just something you don't want to give your life to. Let your words, let your 
online content. Let, let your life be devoted to making Jesus glorious in the eyes of anyone who will listen. The church is the bride of Christ. And you might think she's ugly, but Jesus died for her. So quit it. Anyways, he responded with Holy Spirit power. He didn't respond in anger. He didn't respond in anger. You might read this and say, oh boy, Paul is a real firefighter. Fireball. I guess a firefighter put out, puts out the anger. Flustered. But he's not that. He's not flustered in this moment. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, as I need to be. And he's not, he's not retaliating in anger. He's just filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking the truth, so that this proconsul can come to saving relationship with God. And by the way, I hope, I think maybe Elimus came into relationship with God too. Notice that his sentence was that he would be blinded for a time. Which is exactly what happened to Paul. It's what he needed to be humbled, to be brought into right relationship. Therefore, when opposition arises, we should expect the help of the Spirit. And fifth and finally, as we come to a close, we learn from this story that as we launch out in ministry, we must never stop preaching the word. Never stop preaching the word. So immediately when they land in Cyprus, they preach the word. They go straight to the synagogues and they stand up and they open the Bible and they say, here it is. And then they spread out across the island and wherever they go, they're preaching and teaching the word. And then we find them at, in Paphos, which is a city on the other side of the island, the capital city of... And again, they're preaching the word. They're brought before the proconsul. What do they do with the proconsul? They preach the word. They teach the word. And we read about the fruit of their labor in verse 12. Look at verse 12. This is the last verse in our passage. Then the proconsul believed. When, when did this happen? When he saw what had occurred. But why did this happen? For he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So the moment of the miracle grabs his attention, for sure. But what astonishes this man? What is it that brings this man into saving relationship with God? He's astonished at the teaching of the Lord. The word of God changes him. That's important that we see that. You know why? Because that word of God that transformed the proconsul in Cyprus is the same word of God that you and I have today. That gospel message that transform his life is the same gospel message that we declare so you might not ever blind anyone (laughs) but that's okay because you have the word of God that left this man astonished that changed his life so preach it the word of God works it works Alexander McLaren said he who has the Holy Spirit or she who has the Holy Spirit in his heart and the scriptures in their hands have all that they need the Holy Spirit in your heart, the scripture in your hands. You got it. You've got what you need. Well, but I'm not very quick on my feet. I'm not a very smart thinker. That's what Moses said. Remember God said, who made your mouth? Who made your mouth? Well, I don't know how I'm going to answer them. Jesus says, I'll give you the words in the moment when you need them. And so all of these, all these excuses that bubble up in our hearts and minds, all these insecurities, God's just like, hey, you might be right about all of that. Like you, you might be true, truly speaking about all of your weaknesses, all your faults, all your failures, but none of that is true about me and this is my mission, and I'm working through you. And actually, my glory shines through all the cracks in the jars of clay. People should walk away from Redeemer saying, God is amazing, and never, oh, I love Levi's sermons, or or Josh's singing. His glory shines through our cracks. That's the point. And when you evangelize to the world, you shouldn't go out into the world and leave people saying, wow, that is the smartest woman I've ever seen. No, they should walk away saying, wow, the God of whom she speaks sounds real, compelling, and glorious. We look at this proconsul. 
verse 7 describes him as a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. He wasn't a naive man or a foolish man. He was an intelligent man, a thoughtful man. He saw the world and he saw himself and he sensed that something just wasn't right and so he leaned in and he listened close. He sought to hear the word of the Lord. G. Campbell Morgan says here, there is nothing in this world the devil dreads like a man who dares to think. Such a man will inevitably touch the realm of the spiritual and the supernatural. He may not come to certainty on these matters but he will face their possibility. See, there are people out there who are daring to think. There are people out there who are noticing that something is wrong. Something's wrong with this world. Something's wrong with my family. Something's wrong with me. There are people out there who, like this proconsul, are more eager than you realize to hear the word of God. What does God say? I say that because I wonder if you see that when you look out at this world. Listen, I know that right now, the news, the media, the internet, whatever your algorithms are feeding you, it's trying to make you angry. It's trying to convince you that, that there's just like an angry mob out there that want to ruin your kids. It's trying to convince you that, that these are enemies, right? That's, it's, and that's what it's doing, and we need to know that. Every time you're watching the news or looking at your phone, it's trying to, it's trying to get you fired up because you click more things when you're angry. I, what I would encourage you as your pastor is I'd say turn off your phone and walk down your street and look at your neighbors. Go downtown and walk and look at these people. That's not your enemy. Those are people made in the image of God. And they need to hear this news. There are some people out there, just like this proconsul, who are looking around and saying something isn't fitting. And they're asking good questions. There are lost people out there. There are scared people out there. And the answer that our world is offering right now is no answer at all. They're bringing all those questions to the world and the world is saying, oh, indulge that lust and follow that feeling and take this pill and book this surgery and live this life however you want and when you do that, that will make you happy. But it won't. That's not freedom. I just read yesterday, there was an article that popped up in the National Post. And this, I just feel like it's the providence of God. This article pops up in the National Post and it's about a woman who lives in Aurelia who who was following all those things and for 10 years was distorting her body and changing her life and all of these things and 10 years later she realized, I'm ruined. How, how did you, I went to my doctor and I went to my therapist and I went to my counselor and all of you told me that I should do this to myself and now my life is ruined and she's suing all of them. And there are people out there right now who are looking at what the world is offering and saying it's not, it's, it's moving from one prison cell into another prison cell. It's not satisfying these deepest longings in my heart. And Jesus said, well, that's not where freedom is found. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. It's not freedom, Jesus said. People are rushing headlong into ruin, and they're scared. You know, those who are really thinking like the proconsul. Suicide rates are skyrocketing right now. Did you know, according to recent studies, the teen suicide rate nearly doubled between 2007 and 2019? Meaning, brothers and sisters, there are literally people out there who are dying for good news. They are drowning in questions. And it is our greatest joy and privilege to open God's word and to point them to the answer. The answer is Jesus. The answer is this gospel. In this book, we discover who our God is. That there is a God and that he made us. In this book, we discover who we were made to be. It's glorious. In this book, we discover that right now we are not yet who we were made to be. And we discover what went wrong. 
And as we look to the truth of God's word, we recognize that reality in our own hearts, that that sin that the Bible talks about isn't a them thing, it's an us thing. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in this book, we find that our God, who is love, has provided an answer. He sent his son to live the life we couldn't live. He sent his son to bear the curse for our sin. All of that mess, all of that ruin that we've sown into the world that is destroying our families and our lives and and our country, all of that mess, Jesus said, I will bear it in my body. And he took it upon himself. And the wrath of God was satisfied in Christ as he bore the death that we ought to pay. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus said, all right, I'll take it, I'll pay it. And now he clothes us with his righteousness, his life. Anyone who repents looks to him in faith and believes that he died for me, believes in his name, will be saved. And in that moment, all of that mess, all of the sin goes on him and all of his righteousness comes on us. And now we have this glorious inheritance and we get to be who we were made to be. Not perfectly yet, but from one degree of glory to the next as the Spirit changes us. And one day we'll be with him and all of the sin will be gone and we'll be in glory and we long for that. And there in him we find identity, forgiveness, hope, love, restoration, truth, joy, fullness of life, everything else that we are longing for and that we were made to enjoy, we have it in Christ. And there are people out there who are literally dying to hear that news. It's good news, brothers and sisters. And as I close, I'm closing, but I want you to hear this and you need to believe this. As we look out in love at a dying world, the gospel is good news. It's good news for your neighbor. It is good news for the young man who finds himself attracted to other men. It is good news for the young woman who feels like she's trapped in the wrong body. It is good news for the atheist that you work with. The gospel is good news. So look people in the eye and filled with the Holy Spirit, point them to Christ because it is good news. It is good news. And as Augustine said, our souls will forever be restless until they find their rest in him. And so every other thing that we try to satisfy this longing with, every time, you know, our kids or our wife or our family or, or these procedures or whatever it is, everything that we turn to to try to, to try to satisfy this longing in our hearts, it won't work. Our souls are restless until they find rest in him. So, church, go. Launch out. You have a team here that's ready to support you. And maybe you're, maybe you're kind of a, you're on the fringes, you're not leaning in. I'd say lean in. If, if God's calling you to be here, be here. Lean in. There's a team here to support you. Stop waiting for an audible voice from heaven. Make a plan and go. What would God have you do? What opportunities are open to you? Do it. Just do it. Now expect to be resisted. That's going to happen. It's not fun. But expect to receive the help of the Holy Spirit. That's going to happen too. And it is fun. Launch out into a dying world with the help of the Spirit and never stop preaching the word. People are dying for good news and so let's preach it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Oh great God, we love you. God, we love you so much and we are so thankful for your word. Lord, it goes forth, it never returns void. I pray that right now you would be ministering to our hearts and in our minds. Lord, I pray that all of the 
stuff that comes out of my mouth, God, I pray that all of that would fall to the floor, but I pray that your word would be planted deep in our hearts and that we would be changed. God, I do pray for salvation. If there are people here today who have not yet seen the glory of God in Christ, people today who have been trusting in their own strength, their own efforts, and have not yet surrendered to Jesus, I pray that today would be the day. And God, I thank you that if they look to Christ, they can be saved right now. There's no hoops to jump through. There's one stumbling stone that we must come to terms with, and that is Jesus. God, so I pray that you would open eyes to see in faith the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world. God, I pray that you would help us as a people. As you open eyes, I pray, in this room, I pray that you would also open the mouths in this room. God, that we would just go, and we would just go for it, and we would share, and we wouldn't, we wouldn't, quiet down whenever things get hard, Lord, but that we would just lean in. I pray that we would do it in love, God, filled with the Spirit, not angrily marching out into the world, shaking our fists, but Lord, in love, walking out with open arms, pointing them to Christ, God, who, who died for sinners. And this is love, that he, he died for us while we were yet in our sin. God, we, we're so thankful. I pray now as we respond to you in song, God, that you would stir up our hearts to see what we're meant to see. And God, that we would, we would respond to you with all that you deserve. But Lord, most importantly, I pray that our response wouldn't end when the songs end. But God, that our response of praise would, would reach out into this city, in our communities. Lord, that we would live for you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, good, acceptable, and perfect. God, we ask all of these things in faith in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Worship team, would you lead us?